Welcome back to Your Voice First Podcast, where we bring you the latest in the creator economy, artificial intelligence, and other Web3 technologies. I've been getting a lot of questions about how play-to-earn games work. So today, we're going to take a look and pick apart the economics of the biggest Web3 game out there, Axie Infinity. This game has an economy built around it that is bigger than some countries, where players in developing regions like Southeast Asia and Latin America are earning more playing video games than they ever did working their minimum wage jobs. Let's get started. To kick off this episode, we're actually going to take a step back and look at the history of gaming to see where we started to have a greater understanding for where we are today. To give us that intro, please welcome Ariana Simpson from one of the biggest investment funds in the world, Andreessen Horowitz, otherwise known as A16Z. And so I kind of want to um, zoom out and and take a a, a long term uh, historical perspective as to like sort of the models behind uh, player acquisition with the worlds of gaming. And way back when, uh, when uh, you were playing a game, you and they they would come in like the CDs with the crystal cassette cases. You had to spend like twenty to thirty dollars to buy the game, and then you get to play the game. And then that evolved into more of a a freemium model where the game was free. It was something like a massive multiplayer online game. uh, And uh, you would join the game for free. And then like, and then you could buy your way into items, buy your way into skins. uh, And, and, but the the cost of player acquisition dropped so that the uh, company could make more selling them uh, in-game items, in-game assets, which again are not crypto assets. And now we've kind of gone even further where like the cost of a player joining the game went from 30 to 30 to 60 dollars down to zero and now it's going even negative with asset with crypto asset powered games where like now the game is play, paying you right you are earning real assets in the game can you talk about that progression uh and kind of how uh that relates to like the game theory behind all of these uh gaming companies turning into crypto gaming companies and how that relates to the dynamics of player acquisition Yeah, I mean, I think the history that you just described is super fascinating. I remember reading uh, a few years ago for the first time, I think it was in Masters of Doom, which by the way, I highly recommend. It's a great book um, about kind of in in the early days, how you would have, you know, you would have a program that was written in the back of a magazine and you would literally have to type in the entire thing um, to download something, or you uh, eventually could get a, a CD mailed to you and you would separately mail them a check. And it was kind of the honor system where uh, you would, you would either mail cash <laughs> or a check, and then you would get a game in the mail. And I was just like, oh my God, people used to be so good. I see people are good. Is- but- <laughs> Is Masters of Doom, is that about like Doom? You know, the, fr- mm-hmm. the first person yeah, shooters, yeah. the original? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's uh, John Carmack and uh, oh, um, he's a, the, the, the other co-founder's name is escaping me. But yeah, anyways, it's a great book. And, um, and it really describes kind of the early history of the development of video games. Um, and yeah, just a f- fascinating read. I remember I basically read the whole thing in 24 hours, couldn't put it down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the, uh, the history of, um, games, you know, more recently, it's been very driven by, if you look at like mobile games or games, um, in, in Facebook, even, you know, you really were dependent uh, to a large extent on your ability to successfully monetize via, well, not monetize, but really 
get downloads um, via ads. And so if you lost the ability to do that in a cost-effective way because Facebook changed their ad rules or something else happened, um, it became more competitive, et cetera, then that was, you know, that was a real issue for driving continued user growth. Um, and I think what's fascinating about some of the play-to-earn games, if you look at, you know, Axie, for example, the majority, something like 90 plus percent of their players successfully refer other people to the game. And so all of a sudden, you know, that is no longer, and that's organic by the way, because if you look at, um, what that game, and then, you know, on top of that, things like YGG and some of these, um, sort of guild communities around providing scholarships, uh, for playing this game empower, um, you want to tell people about it because all of a sudden it's improving your life in a meaningful way. And so you want your friends and your neighbors to also be able to do the same. And so I think that's really um, turned things around. Games are no longer like something that you try to get your kid to stop doing, but it's actually, um, you know, a really positive force. And so that to me is what's driving a lot of the organic growth. Um, now, obviously, you know, the, the, the rate of that growth will fluctuate over time. And, you know, if it were to continue at the pace, it's going all, all people in the world will be, uh, playing crypto games in very short order, but in general, like the underlying, um, power of this new system is the fact that, you know, the users are able to participate in it. And I think the, the wonderful thing about some of the guilds, YGG in particular as kind of the leader in this, um, is that they're bringing down the financial barrier to entry um, so that players who are willing to um, invest the time in a game are able to, to begin. And, um, you know, they're, they're taking down whatever walled garden might otherwise exist. What I like about Ariana Simpson's intro is this discussion of kind of three different phases of games where you had originally games where you bought the game and you get a CD or you get a cartridge and you play on that. So there's no in-game purchases. You buy a cartridge, you put it in and then you own all of the assets, but what you don't really own it. You just have access to it. Then you have the second phase, which is what a lot of people play now, downloadable games, like Temple Run, where you download a game on your phone and you can then play it. And whenever you don't want it, you delete it. And if you want to unlock extra benefits, like extra lives, extra skins, extra levels, you can pay for those. And again, you have access to it, but you don't have true ownership of it. And now we're coming into this third wave where uh, one, you can just download the game or you can access it and Two, unlike the uh, monetization in Web2 games where it was a lot of uh, ad-based distribution in revenue and discovery, this is all network effects. As Ariana Simpson said, we are uh, sharing these games to our friends because not only are our economic interests aligned with the games, but these games are also so fun and contagious that we want to share them with our friends. So now that we have discussed some of the uh, evolution in the history of gaming, let's talk about what is Axie Infinity and who better to intro the game than one of the co-founders of the game, Jiho. 
Can you tell folks what is Axie? Like, how does it work? Sure. So Axie Infinity is a blockchain game centered around battling and collecting these cute, adorable, puffy uh, pets called Axies, where we carefully balance the in-game economy and kind of supercharge it using blockchain. So all the resources in the game are ERC-20 tokens, Axies our uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. We have our own marketplace. We're building our own decks for the exchange of in-game resources as well. So yeah, that's basically Axie. The idea is to introduce people to something that's kind of new and a little bit scary, blockchain, through something that's familiar and nostalgic, something like a Pokemon or a Tamagotchi. And the game mechanics are kind of like battle, like, you know, like kind of... Pokemon battle style, right? Yeah, yeah. So we have a battle system that's basically a card-based battle system. Each Axie has many different body parts, six different body parts. Different body parts correspond to different cards that they can draw in battle. There's so many different body parts because right, each Axie actually has a real genetic code that's stored on, on chain. So there are just so many different combinations, right? Because each team of Axie is three Axies, right? Each Axie has four cards. So there's basically huge combination of possible uh, combinations. Did you guys have to deal with, um, like early in game design, often folks get things wrong, like the mechanics or like the, the balance of the game? Did you guys have, ever have to deal with that? We got a lot of things wrong. Axie has been constant iteration for three and a half years. I mean, at first we had battles on chain and there were auto battles. So people would submit a transaction <laughs> and then the axes would go fight and then we got rid of that and then there was still auto battles and then people were like no like we want to actually fight our axes like in real time and make decisions in real time against another human being we don't want to just click a button it's really like, oh okay like that kind of makes sense like that sounds more fun <laughs> so then we made a real time the card battle system right and when that, when that came out yeah like we did constant balancing so the real-time card battles have been out in alpha for about 18 months right now and we've been balancing it all along the way later this year we hope to release an entirely new battle system that's going to be upgraded with new cards new art so it's, it's constant iteration and yeah i think the balancing is not perfect yet uh, and and it's never going to be perfect and, and and just as it was starting to get good we're about to create an entirely new challenge for ourselves by launching a new battle system. You could think of it as even a new game. My biggest takeaways here are, I've got two of them. One is comparing the game to mental models we already are aware of. Kind of compared it to Pokemon and battling as well as trading card games like uh, Clash Royale or other trading card games, both of those concepts are very fungible. People are, um, maybe not fungible, but visceral. People are aware of the term Pokemon. People are aware of Clash Royale and trading card games. And then when you talk to gamers about these, they can visualize what the gameplay might be like. And then the other is talking so much about the economics of it. Can you name another game studio like Diablo or the people that, uh, built Temple Run, do they ever talk about building the in-game economics and hiring on economists to build out a sustainable economy? I have never heard a game studio do that. So it's like 
one, they're trying to make this gaming concept very familiar to people by using mental models that we're aware of. And they're also doing things that no other gaming studio has done, which is trying to build an actual sustainable economy, which is something that not even a good country has done, like the United States, Thailand, uh, the Soviet Union. Like, economies are hard to build, and now gaming companies are looking at how to build sustainable economies for their players. So when we talk about economics and being able to earn money inside of a game, the biggest pushback I get from other people is this concept of a Ponzi scheme. Oh, this won't work. It's just people buying in so that they can sell it later, and eventually nobody's going to want to buy it, and that's a Ponzi scheme where you sell stuff to people and then you reinvest those early payoffs to be able to pay off those early people as more people buy in. It's a Ponzi scheme. This game is a Ponzi scheme. You can't actually earn money sustainably. Well, luckily, Ariana Simpson addressed it. So here is, again, Ariana Simpson from Andreessen Horowitz, the A16Z Venture Fund, to discuss this uh, devil's advocate view of the Ponzi scheme. But I, I still want to address maybe a, a criticism that uh, s some some might make on this uh, economic model. It, it's basically that it's like maybe a, a common criticism of crypto. Isn't this whole thing a Ponzi scheme? Isn't this a Ponzi game that we're playing here? Right? Like, wait, what are you talking about? Where's the actual value being created? Right? We, we create this game, and then the players themselves value it, and then the asset prices go up. But all we're creating are these assets, and the the way the the economy, I guess, achieves um, any any form of GDP or revenue is through asset inflation, right? So, like, where is the actual value that's being created here? Is this kind of just a Ponzi game all the way down? No, it's definitely not. And I mean, I think the the key part of the equation is that it needs to remain fun to play these games because the success of the system is to some extent predicated on the willingness of some percentage of the members of the game community to put money in to buy new things. And by the way, this is not dissimilar to any other game where it's like, oh, I'm buying skins, I'm doing this, that, and the other thing the way Fortnite continues to exist is that people are willing to put money in. Otherwise, it too would collapse. So, you know, it's not that this is uh, in any way a Ponzi scheme. It's that you need to make sure that over time, there's enough desire to continue to play the game for fun reasons that people are willing to invest into it. Now, I think how that happens is continuing to build out interesting, creative game experiences. And I think the cool thing about some of these worlds, digital metaverses, is that you can have all different kinds of things that you can do in them. And so it's an infinitely rich canvas for building new games, new experiences, new whatever. Um, in a way that, you know, continues to bring people in. And, you know, I would argue that, frankly, some of these economies are, are just as reasonable, if not more reasonable than, you know, the U.S. economy in the sense that how do we have dollars? Well, we print more. And so how is that any different than, you know, having um, 
inflation in some of the game economies. It's really not. You have a lot of the same principles at work, which is what I just described, where some people are willing to put in money, some people are willing to put in labor, um, et cetera. And so I think, you know, obviously the the rate of growth is not going to always stay consistent. Like there will be periods of sort of stabilization. But again, like look at the real economy. Sometimes there's periods of crazy growth and sometimes it's sort of you know, muddles along for a little bit. So, um, you know, in, in my mind, this is definitely not, um, uh, not a, an unreasonable paradigm for an economy. Um, now granted, I, I certainly think that the failure mode for a lot of these worlds is screwing up the economic mechanics. And so I think that, um, that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for Axie and some of the other metaverse type um, games or even just games in general, because, you know, there is real risk that if you fiddle with some of the uh, economic principles, you could end up causing some unanticipated um, and maybe adverse economic effects in the game economies, which, by the way, is also the same as the real economy. Um, so, you know, it's it's a challenge, but it's definitely not insurmountable. And so I think the teams that are, are building the most in this space are really um, pushing forward the thinking and um, what we know about how some of these economies work. And by the way, if you look at who many of these teams hire, they're literally real economists. Like, um, no, wow. I'm serious. Like, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of um, sort of game economy people studied economics, um, and it makes sense, right? Some of these economies are so complex that you really have um, a, a very close mapping to what you would see in kind of the real world economics. So um, it's, it's got to be way more fun. It's got to yeah, be way yeah, more fun sure, than going sure. and becoming a central banker, right? With your economics degree. <laughs> totally, exactly. It's like the, the fun ones go become game economists. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from this section is the game needs to be inherently fun. It can't just be a game that's built up for people to be able to make money. The game needs to be fun enough so that players of the game will continue to want to buy new things. Whether that is skins or level extensions or additional characters. And these are true in traditional gaming ecosystems. Fortnite cannot be played if people don't want to continue to buy skins and buy packs. Fortnite continues to sell these to existing players as well as new players. So this isn't a new concept. And this concept can be expanded to all of blockchain. There has to be a utility that people find useful outside of just the tokenomics and the ability to make money. Bitcoin and Ethereum both need to be valuable. It can't just be like the token has a price or else eventually people are going to realize that there's no true utility and the ecosystem is going to crash. So that being said, we're going to come back to the founder of Axie Infinity to introduce the actual economics in the economy of Axie Infinity. How are gamers benefiting? How are breeders benefiting? How are uh, all the different members of this economy benefiting and interacting with the system? And what are the dollar values that people are actually seeing? 
the $25 million in daily volume going on in the Axie economy, plus the 50,000 NFTs that are sold per day. I'm guessing those numbers are already stale, uh, <laughs> judging by how every other number that we've produced is already like seven days old already. Um, but, but you said something earlier that the Axie team isn't capturing these fees. These aren't fees captured by the Axie team. So when we, when we look at $25 million in daily volume, is that all going to players as in players are earning all of that money or, or at least the majority of it? Yeah. So those are peer to peer, right? This, so it's 33, $33 million today in peer to peer uh, transactions. Uh, and the, right, the ecosystem fee is 4.25% of those transactions. And so right, the, basically Sky Mavis, the inventors, I, I like to think of us as the inventors of Axie Infinity. None of my teammates say that yet. Uh, maybe I'll convert them. Uh, Sky Mavis, the inventors of Axie, right? Like we have exposure to that fee uh, by holding right, approximately 18% of the access uh, supply. And so uh, that 50,000, probably larger of NFTs being sold per day, $33 million per day. That's the income spread across all of the Axie players over the world on a daily basis, $33 million per day. Like no wonder you guys call yourself a nation. The GDP of that is absolutely insane. Do you, ha do you have any numbers today as to like, to like how, if you think of Axie as like an employer, how many employees or what's the labor force magnitude of Axie Infinity? Yeah, so you can think of it as like probably, I would say 80%, maybe 70, 80%, like let's go with the power, Pareto power rule. Let's mm -hmm. say 80% classify, be classified as metaverse uh, workers, right? So that's like, I mean, I mean 420, 400 some odd thousand uh, kind of metaverse workers. Uh, and then, yeah, like kind of a uh, monthly volume of uh, like 30 times 30 is like, a, like almost a billion dollars, right? Wow. Um, so yeah, we start, we start, we're starting to, we're starting to get up there. Yeah. Um, and I think like, I think the, the nations of the future are going to be opt-in. They're going to be uh, people who are united by a, by common beliefs and ideals. Um, they're not going to be right. Like, uh, based on physical boundaries, right? And I think that's such an antiquated concept. Like you have to be part of the nation that you were, you know, you rolled out <laughs> on day one. And so I think that it, that of all things that we've talked about on this podcast illustrates the power of the intersection of Ethereum and gaming the most. If you can build a game that users want to play and you can find a way to leverage digital assets in, in Ethereum's DeFi, then you can start to produce something that produces more value for the world than like the bottom, like 50% of all nations out there. So Jiho, like congratulations on building one of the most successful, uh, I don't like the word employ employers, but like uh, revenue generating for its users systems, economies, ecosystems of all time. That's absolutely crazy. I think uh, one cool, if you go to token terminal, right, it shows uh, kind of like, you know, the different revenue generating protocols. Uh, Axie this week generated $33 million in protocol revenue. Bitcoin only generated uh, $5 million in fees. Um, so, yeah. The biggest paradigm shift of play to earn games is it's not just the game builder that earns the money. In the past, when you play Fortnite, the only person that's benefiting from every sale that you have is the creators of Fortnite. 
when I played Heroes of the Storm and I bought skins, the only person I was benefiting was the builder, which I think is Blizzard Entertainment. The difference now is that when I play a game and I buy a skin, I can resell that skin later on. When I buy an Axie, I can resell it, and the economics are not just incentivizing the core builder, but it's incentivizing every node in that network. And the central studio is making actually a very small piece of the pie. So the big paradigm shift is instead of having a small pie where the game studio owns 99% of that pie, it is a much bigger pie and the game studio owns a significantly smaller part of that pie, but the game studio is still not doing bad at all. Like even though they have a smaller piece of the pie, the numbers that they're talking about uh, in Axie Infinity that the game developers are earning is a very substantial income. So in addition to the game developers earning a lot, the rest of the community benefits as well, creating more of a synergistic, holistic, mutually beneficial network that allows everybody to succeed. We're now gonna get into the concrete examples of how you can earn money in the game. First, we're gonna look at the player example. As a player, you might be wondering, how do I earn money playing Axie Infinity? Well, to tell you that, we're gonna bring in the founder of Yield Guild Games. Highly recommend you note that term, Yield Guild Games, to help explain. Here is Gabby to talk about how players sell small love potions to earn money inside of Axie Infinity. So what, what you started seeing is that people started making money with these SLP tokens that people were earning from from playing, uh, not with like necessarily the NFTs themselves, like like the axes themselves or both. So um, to uh, to start playing Axie Infinity, you needed to have a team of three axes. So it was your team of axes that you needed. So you had to buy the NFTs to be able to play the game and battle against someone else. And then when you battle and win, then you earn the token. So it's using your NFTs to earn some form of yield. Mm. Got it. Um, so what, like, how much can people expect to earn from this? Like, how much were people actually earning? Okay, so we'll go back last year when this, uh, it, actually it mm -hmm. was this time last year in August that um, this first started happening. Um, so uh, the, the price of uh, Ethereum was a lot smaller, uh, was at lower back then. But what happened was that people were buying teams and they were earning somewhere between three to $500 um, a month. And uh, minimum wage here in the Philippines is around 200. So people were earning a multiple of the, of the jobs that they were actually laid off from. And these people who were uh, earning this money, they weren't like super savvy technological people. These were re basically regular people who were gamers who were able to onboard mm -hmm. into a game, um, learn how to play and um, to win the tokens. And then now that they had tokens to cash out, then that's how they uh, learn crypto after. So that was the really cool part about that. And of course, the the amount of um, the, the amount of money that you can earn in kind of fiat terms changes. But what these people found was that in places such as around Southeast Asia and Latin America, it was actually a multiple of the earning that people got from their local opportunities. As a gamer, it was very foreign that I had to buy players in the game before I could play. I'm very used to going to GameStop and spending 50 or $60 on a game disc. And I'm also familiar with downloading a game that I play for free and then potentially have to pay for in-game items or pay attention to a bunch of ads. But this thought that I had to buy three axes 
where each Axie, at, when I bought it, each Axie was about $100. So I'm spending $300 to buy my players and get started. That was a very foreign concept to me. But it's one of the big differences between traditional gaming and Web3 gaming. So now that we've talked about how players earn money, there's other aspects of this economy. The most base foundational layer are the players, the people who are playing the game. But there's other facets of this economy, and the one we're going to talk about next are the concept of scholars and managers. Again, this is going to go over to Yield Guild Games' Gabby, the founder of Yield Guild Games. And they talk about, okay, well, people in the Philippines probably don't have $300 to just throw around and buy some axes. So for players that can't necessarily afford that, how do they get into the game? And what are the economics around people that own these assets? And what's the economics around the players that have a lot of time but don't have a lot of money? Here is Gabby from Yield Guild Games. How did uh, your role at Axie then develop into a co-founding Yield Guild? Okay, so um, around the same time last year, the concept of a scholarship program happened. So the, the interesting thing about Axie is that um, there are two ways to log into the game. One with your user account, username, password, and the other one is signing with your crypto wallet, signing a transaction, basically. And what people found out was that I can give you, for example, my uh, username and password. You can log into my account, use my Axies, and then you can start playing the game. And you can er start earning SLP, but you can't run away with the axes or SLP that you earn because you don't have access to the private key. So this is how the lending started. People who had a lot of excess axes started lending out their excess axes and their accounts to other people who then had the time and the ability to play, but they couldn't afford the upfront cost of buying Axie teams. And then there's a revenue sharing going on. And usually the, the majority of the rev share actually goes to the scholar or the player playing these games. Okay, so so there was this uh, like model of renting out axes uh, going on, yeah. and and did you start renting out your own axes? Yeah, so I started at first. I started selling a lot of axes, and then I started renting out some mm -hmm. of my own. Then I realized that we could do this scalably in a scalable manner, in a way that you can impact you know, thousands and ultimately, hopefully, millions of lives around the world. If you do this via um, technology, automation, if you had venture capital. So, yeah, so that's that's how Yield Guild started. Like, I saw the model mm -hmm. of scholarships happening organically in the community, and I decided, along with my co-founders, to turn it into something much bigger that could scale. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. This sounds a whole lot like the sharing economy in that a company like Lyft and Uber might have an asset like little electric scooters. They just airdrop those to every city in the United States and then people can use those and access them. The difference is when Uber and Lyft and all the other companies just dropped these scooters everywhere, you saw people that would take those scooters and break them if they weren't even happy. You'd see people steal the scooters so that they could hide them for their own personal use. And there was, although they could put trackers in them, there was ultimately very little that the owners of those assets could do to protect their investments. That's very different when your assets live on a blockchain. And like Gabby was talking about, a manager, someone that owns an asset like a house or a scooter or uh, an Axie inside of Axie Infinity, can give someone the login credentials, the username and password to sign into their Axie account so that the player, the person who wants to ride the scooter, the person who wants to rent the house, 
person that wants to use the asset, can sign into the account and play the game and earn small love potions, can breed the axes, can do all of those in-game activities. However, the player does not have the private key of the uh, wallet that the asset is actually owned in. So the player has no way to take advantage and steal the Axie, to steal the scooter, to steal the house. Because in blockchain, you need the private key. And if you don't own the private key, you do not own that asset and you cannot take it, misappropriate it or misuse it. This is a big paradigm shift inside of the gaming ecosystem, as well as in the ownership and in the gig and in the sharing economies. So we've talked about players, we've talked about breeders, we've talked about scholars and managers. These are different actors within the economy. The next actor in the economy are businesses, third parties, people that want to build a business on top of this. You might think of this as a foreign nation where the US has its own economy and then France might want to take advantage of some of the opportunities in the US economy. But at the end of the day, France is an entirely separate country with its own economy. So giving this back to Gabby at YGG, Yield Guild Games has successfully built its own economy that interacts with the Axie Infinity community, but this is a third-party business that is another actor in the Axie environment, and Yield Guild Games is entirely separate. There's no formal partnerships, there's just Yield Guild Games owns Axies and owns assets in other games and is able to contribute to this economy. So for the next network node, the next actor in this economy, here is third parties. If you're an entrepreneur, this is the section you're probably going to want to listen in most to to figure out how you can build your business on top of the blockchain to interact with some of these successful games and blockchain services. This, the initial idea of Yield Guild Games to um, go into uh, all these different blockchain games, I imagine not just Axie, and um, getting the assets like the NFTs, uh, like the, the players or whatever asset it, it is um, that people need to play these games and um, and then rent them out, rent those assets out at, at scale uh, for people, for more people to be able to access these games and play. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're what we call a play to earn gaming guild. So the guild itself um, has uh, funds that it uses to invest in NFTs that earn yield. So it could be Axis and Axie mm. Infinity. We have land in Sandbox. We have cars in Rev Racing, for example. And then we mm. uh, land these out to our players. So the players are the ones that play the games. They earn an income and we take a small slice out of it. And yeah, we this is something that we've been scaling for uh, for you know, since uh, since the end of last year, and now uh, the guild has over fifty thousand members. We're in twelve countries across, um, mostly across Southeast Asia, India, and Latin America, and yeah, we're just looking to, to kind of scale it further, and then uh, and then kind of scale it as a DAO as well. Oh, very cool. Um, okay, so how many how many uh, players versus how many scholars are there versus how do you call the people who are just like renting out uh, the assets? Yeah, so uh, the, the Axie scholars, there's around um, almost 5,000, so around 10% mm -hmm. of the player, player base. And the rest, some of them own their own assets. Some of them are there because they want to learn about uh, latest game. Some of them are like NFT investors. But yeah, we have a super, super active community in our Discord of just play to earn enthusiasts from around the world. 
Very cool. Um, okay, so how much how much money are are, are players making? Like, uh, how much money did YGG make uh, in August? Okay, so we we're doing a GMV right now of somewhere between one to two hundred thousand dollars every day, and of that, seventy percent goes to our scholars, twenty percent to the community managers. So the community managers are community members around the world who are empowered with our technology to recruit and train the scholars under them, and then ten percent uh, goes to the guild. So we get the smallest share, and pretty much everything that we pay out, almost everything, ninety percent goes to our community. Got it. Um, and in all, how much how much have you have you made in in gaming? Like since you started. Okay, so I have to quote this in SLP because we we make our revenue in SLP. So we've uh, we've done fifty one million SLP lifetime um, since we started, and I actually don't know what the price of SLP now, but it's probably somewhere between like seven to nine million dollars, and most of that has happened in the last like. Two or three months when Axie has really taken off. Wow. Okay. Um, and and that's split uh, among around uh, five thousand players. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I have a lot of friends in the gig economy. So for this next section, it's mostly for them. If you are currently in the gig economy, whether you're delivering food for Food Panda or you're an Uber driver, or you are on Upwork uh, freelancing, this next section is talking about how the gig economy can evolve with DAOs and play-to-earn games and other Web3 uh, concepts and mental models. Do you foresee YGG becoming just like this global um, employer or... Just like I don't know, it's it, it's like a new new kind of employer, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I would say that it's a an evolved version of the gig economy, uh, wherein you know, like mm. with the gig economy, you had Uber and Lyft with drivers around the world. Here, we of course we don't employ them, but we provide access to a lot of these creative jobs that are. Um, in crypto via these games. So you could be a player in Axie Infinity, you could be a content creator, you may be creating avatars in the sandbox, you may be creating digital fashion. We we are the ones to provide access to these games. And oftentimes you need to have some form of investment in the form of NFTs before you start playing. And we remove that barrier so that all you really need to bring is your skill um, to these games to start earning. It's very interesting that we saw Uber fighting this concept of an employer, where Uber said, no, we're not an employer, we're a gig economic provider. And I think the same argument and concept and legal battles are probably going to come out in play to earn games like Axie Infinity, where people in the gig economy are earning lots of money, potentially their entire full-time job is just playing Axie Infinity. And the government is going to want to provide those players benefits and the gaming companies are going to say, no, we are not employers. They are doing gigs for us, and they're going to continue to argue over what is the line between being a gig economy worker and being an employee at a company. And the big question that I think a lot of gamers want to ask is, okay, well, how is the quality of these games? What is the difference between these amazing uh, high-quality design teams, high-quality game studios, 
and these new blockchain games. Are they the same? What's better? What's the differences? That's what we're going to be talking about next. So here we go with the differences between Web 2 and Web 3 games. Do these games uh, compare to in, in terms of just like graphics and complexity um, it, it, it compare to just like traditional games or would you say that there's still kind of work to do on, on that front? So they're complex, but they're complex in a different way. So for me, mm -hmm. if I wanted to be entertained with a good story and just like top-notch graphics, I would just turn on the PlayStation and play a game. So I play blockchain games for a different reason in that I want to be immersed in the kind of economic world um, that these uh, mm -hmm. games and these assets bring me and the community as well, which is one of the most important parts. So with the early state of blockchain games, the kind of polish might be not be there as you would see from a typical you know, Xbox or PlayStation game, but they're actually innovating on a different front, which is the economic model, which is the important part. Because if I have a really nice and polished graphical game, but uh, you know, like NFTs are not used in a, in a creative way, then like it doesn't really matter to me. So can can you expand that a bit more on that? So um, what do you mean? How how are they innovating in, in the economic models? Is it um, because they 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 need to find ways to uh, make these kind of in-game assets and and tokens work with like you were saying with like making sure there's not too much inflation, for example, um, and and um, and how does the player kind of live that? Right. So with play to earn you are taking your game economy and then you're putting parts of it on the blockchain so that your players can own those assets and easily trade it amongst themselves. So these might be NFTs, these might be fungible tokens like SLP. Um, and it takes a lot of work on the kind of game design and tokenomics front. You actually have to understand not only game economy, but also like tokenomics to figure out what makes for a good um, play-to-earn game. And yeah, that's that's the truly groundbreaking thing about Axie Infinity, for example. The reason that it's reached, like it's it's one of the top earning games in the world right now. It has over 1 million daily active users. Um, there is, I think, between 30 to $40 million of trading volume every day, which makes it one of the top games in the world. And they did it without being available on either the Google Play or the iOS App Store. They're not on Steam. So there's really a new innovative model that came out. I think we've done a pretty good job looking at where Axie is now. Let's now look at what is coming next. It sounds like Axie has officially announced a decentralized exchange built on their own marketplace and their own Ronin sidechain. Here is the people from the Bankless podcast, Ryan and David, to talk more. Axie Infinity is launching a decentralized exchange. Dave, that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they are a massive uh, crypto gaming company, a lot of assets being massive economy. Back and forth. Huge massive economy. economy, right? Yeah, yeah they're a they're, uh, the Axie Nation, it's like a kind of a real nation, right? Uh, and now they're launching a decentralized exchange. So that uh, just makes sense to me. What, what's your take? Yeah, they needed this on the Ronin sidechain, right? So if you were an Axie Nation economy participant and you needed to do some exchanging, you would have to go from the Ronin sidechain to the main chain to do stuff on Uniswap. But that is inefficient. So Axie just is releasing their own decks on the Ronin sidechain, which makes sense. Put the market where you live. 
So the concept of a decentralized exchange might not really apply to most gamers and they might not understand, but uh, eventually it will kind of make sense to you. Right now, when I play Axie Infinity, all of my assets exist on the Ronin sidechain. But if I eventually want to sell those assets, I have to port them from Ronin sidechain, which Axie owns, over to across the bridge onto the Ethereum uh, blockchain. And then once they're on the Ethereum blockchain, I can sell my small love potions on uh, Uniswap. And then once I have that ether, I can spend it as I want. However, when I port my assets from the Ronin sidechain over to the Ethereum main chain, I have to pay Ethereum gas costs, which is very expensive. And when I sell that SLP, I'm again having to pay those gas costs. And if you've done anything on Ethereum, then you know that gas costs could be north of $100 per transaction. So for you to sell assets that might be $100, you might have to pay another $100. So this new decentralized exchange that Axie is building will help it so that players in the Philippines, in Latin America, or if you're listening in the United States and you want to be a part of this economy, you won't have to lose that income to the gas fees. You'll be able to take more of that income, which is benefiting both the players, the scholars, the managers, every single person in the ecosystem benefits with lower gas costs. For the final section that we're going to talk about, we're going to branch out and just say, okay, this entire podcast focused on Axie Infinity, but play to earn games is in a new genre of game. And there's more than just Axie Infinity here. Axie may be the biggest game, but there's other games coming out. So here we're going back to Yield Guild Games Gabby to talk about what other games exist in the play to earn gaming content. Can you talk about more about kind of the, the kinds of games that, that there exist out there? Okay, so the I guess the most exciting part of it for me as a gamer is that there are so many ways you can um, express yourself by playing these different games, right? So, of course, um, a lot of people now have heard about Axie Infinity, and there's Formula One Delta Time, which we're into, which is like a, a licensed Formula One uh, racing game. Um, there's Sandbox, which is a, a virtual world where people can come in, create content, and like similar to a Roblox, I would say, but with uh, people own their own land um, and their assets. And um, there are other games that we've invested into that will be coming out either later this year or sometime next year. Games like Guild of Guardians, which is a role-playing game, like similar to Diablo. Star Atlas, which is like a full space opera sci-fi game, which is super cool. Um, games like Illuvium and Nifty Island. There are actually so many games to look forward to and so many creative ways to earn an income. If your parents have ever told you to stop playing video games because they have no benefit to society, share them this episode, start learning how to play your play-to-earn games, and start earning, augmenting, or just totally replacing your full-time job by being a player of these new Web3 games. If you have any questions, reach out to me on any social media platform. Just look up sweetman.eth. This is Sweets, signing off. <laughs>